from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. To be able to have that conversation with that person tomorrow, you need to take care of them tonight. We don't, they don't give us bed counts. They don't tell us at the beginning gotcha. of the night how much availability they have or anything. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I, all right. Yeah. <laughs> my, I'm five hours, I'm six hours into my shift and I can't tell you how many times I've said that. It's not unusual to be on hold with 211 for up to 20 minutes, even while they look for resources. And you can hear in their voice, even sometimes, how frustrating and heartbreaking it is for them not to be able to connect someone with resources. I'm Sarah Fenske. When our region's biggest institutions need help finding shelter for homeless people, they turn to a surprising person, an unpaid volunteer who has no official role managing these cases. Our local hospital chains called this woman 400 times in the last 12 months. And she says it's because the government-funded system that's supposed to help with shelter placements is broken. We'll hear from this volunteer in just a moment, but first I want to share a little bit of context. When people are in urgent need of shelter in St. Louis City and County, they're told to call 211. The United Way-backed service is meant to be a 24-7 hotline for people in need, and the city and county have contracted with it for $176,000 a year to provide referrals to people who need everything from food to services for mental illness. Robin Pakogsky is the vice president of Community Partnerships for United Way's 211 hotline. She told our producer Kayla Drake that housing requests make up the bulk of 211 calls. In the St. Louis area, we we have about like 40% of our overall volume is for housing related needs. And 20% of that is specifically for shelter. Now, in 2021, the 211 service got nearly 16,000 valid requests for shelter locally. But Robin said the hotline can't track the success rate of those requests. There's a, a, a point where we are no longer engaged and we won't we don't have um, insight into whether or not the person actually got placed. Just making the connection. We've opened up the the way, so to speak, for someone to be into the shelter, but we don't know if they actually showed up or something happened. Now, Robin Pakogsky says housing navigators in St. Louis give people referrals for the local patchwork of shelters. They try to connect them with transportation if needed. The first phone call to 211 doesn't always get people where they need to be. The confusion tends to be in um, how quickly someone can get placed into like permanent housing or even into shelters themselves. Um, It may not be the first phone call. You know, if you call today and there's no beds available, you're going to have to keep calling back until one becomes available. 
And that is Robin Pakogsky. She's the vice president of community partnerships for United Way's 211 hotline. Now, the city relies on many smaller shelters. Each has a limited number of beds. It tells volunteers assisting people in finding shelter to call 211 to find out where beds are open at any given time. But the volunteers doing that say 211 operators simply can't handle those requests. They say the need is particularly acute in evening hours. Weather can quickly change in Missouri, and people who are homeless are not always prepared for the cold. Audra Yeomans is a St. Louis University student, and she's a volunteer with local homeless services. She's seen that firsthand. It's easier and more sustainable to not have a place to go during the day than it is at night. Um, Everyone wants a safe space to sleep. Now, the city urges people searching for beds, again, to call 211. But Audra says she doesn't recommend it for people seeking evening or weekend referrals to shelter. I don't use it regularly unless I can avoid it, and I don't recommend it to other people um, because unless you are calling during business hours, um, you are not going to receive any help, in my experience. And Audra said in her experience, 211 simply does not help people find shelter at night or on weekends. Most of the time I'm told to call 211 um, and that they will direct me to who I need to talk to. And I think that's a really great way to find a shelter. And I've consistently been told that. Um, and then that's not the case. So I started recording the call just to show, like, this is not what is happening. So Audra Yeoman said she brought these recordings of her 211 calls and her concerns to city officials and 211 managers, but they either did not believe her or they blamed individual employees. Audra said she felt misled, lied to, and even gaslit. She shared her recordings with our producer Kayla Drake, and we're going to play you a few short excerpts. These recordings were made in 2022, and they have been edited just for clarity. I have a man needing a shelter bed for the evening. I do not have any shelters available at this time of evening. You will have to call back or you will have to call back after 8 o'clock tomorrow morning for shelter. Okay, so then what other number should I call tonight? Because it's 31 degrees outside. Um, you probably get me again because... Um, that's all that we have. Okay, so what would you suggest I do with this man for the rest of the evening? I have no, I have no idea. Um, there's, I, I can't, I don't have anything else to offer. I do apologize. Is two one one the best way to get a bed, or like, is there? Someone asked, like, well, the do y'all have is, contact at the city? Or? We don't, they don't give us bed counts. They don't tell us at the beginning gotcha. of the night how much availability they have or anything. Gotcha. Um, yeah. I, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm five <laughs> hours, I'm six hours into my shift, and I can't tell you how many times I've said that tonight. And those are just a few examples of frustrating 2-1-1 interactions gathered by local volunteer and St. Louis University student Audra Yeomans. And it's not just volunteers within the city's homeless services community. Some local hospital chains have also been stymied by 2-1-1's shortcomings to the point that they instead turn to a local volunteer when they need help discharging homeless people. Nicole Warrington has no official position with the city or 2-1-1. She does not get paid for her services. 
But in the last year, hospital social workers called her 400 times to help place homeless people leaving the ER. And Nicole said she's needed because 211 just doesn't work. And she joins us today to tell us more. Nicole Warrington, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Nicole, this is such an unusual problem. Tell us what happens when you get these calls from these hospital social workers. Sure. So uh, when folks call me, I'm kind of a intermediary. I send a text message out to a community that has formed over the years of volunteers, just grassroots folks who have been working with unhoused neighbors to try to find them resources. And this has been especially true since COVID. Um, So we have a group text message that includes folks from Unhoused STL, St. Louis Winter Outreach, Tent Mission, and some other volunteers who have just stepped up. And I will just ask if anybody knows of an available shelter bed. Um, I frequently also call Mike Willis of City Hope, who takes my calls late into the night uh, looking for shelter. And if we have something, then I connect the hospital with the bed. So you're kind of working in this word of mouth kind of way, just context you've built up, Mm -hmm. hitting them up saying, is there a place that this homeless person could go tonight? Right. So how did hospitals start calling you with this problem? So that's a good question. I don't actually know how they first received my phone number. Um, I frequently give my unhoused neighbors in the Central West End my phone number. And so I'm used to getting calls from numbers I don't know. seeking shelter. And in January of 2021, one of those calls was from a local hospital. And they called and said, we have someone here? We've heard that you might know of resources uh, to seek shelter. We've tried 211. We've tried St. Patrick's Center, um, particularly at night. And these are people leaving local hospitals. Are they sick? I mean, what's going on there? Yeah, not usually. Most frequently, I think the experience is that folks have gone into the local ER um, because of the cold. Mm -hmm. Um, They're just trying to get off the streets. They're just trying to get off the streets. They're seeking shelter. They know it's a safe space. Um, There's a lot of trauma that that goes with finding a place to be on a night that you know it's going to be dangerously cold. Mm -hmm. Um, So folks go there seeking shelter. Um, Sometimes they've come in with exposure-related illnesses, um, frostbite, uh, hypothermia. And sometimes there are people who have gone in with some other injury or illness, but they're not sick enough to be admitted. Mm -hmm. And in the course of caring for the, the person, they've discovered that they need shelter. And so the hospital, they need to discharge this person, but they, they can't just put them back on the street. You right. wouldn't want them to put them back exactly. on the street. Yeah. And they don't want to put them on the street. Yeah. But so why can't they just call 211? So they do. <laughs> um, but they run into the same problem that we heard on the recording just now, particularly after 5 p.m. because the resources aren't available. Um, places aren't open. We've been told that 211 is given information daily for after hours of what's available and what's open. And yet when you call, the person answering the call doesn't have that information. So there's a disconnect somewhere. And this is a disconnect that the local ERs have experienced and have become really disheartened by. And so this was a neat way for a community to kind of 
come together. It was heartwarming in that way, but also tragic because people needing access to the resources can't get them. Yeah. And so you're saying the city has has said that 211 is getting this information every day. They don't have to do this whole text chain you're doing. Someone has this information. Correct. From your interactions with the dispatchers, do you believe those dispatchers, they honestly do not have that information? I think that's right. Um, We've been on hold. It's not unusual to be on hold with 211 for up to 20 minutes, even while they look for resources. And you can hear in their voice, even sometimes, how frustrating and heartbreaking it is for them not to be able to connect someone with resources. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to hear that woman say, I've gotten so many calls tonight. I just can't help you. There's some sort of logjam. And we know that Audra Yeomans tried to talk to people in the city, tried to talk to people at 211. Has anybody reached out um, from either of those places to ask you about your experiences? No. Do you know if they're aware of all this this uh, uh, t- a huge number of volunteer hours you're putting into this? I don't know if they know how many hours, but they do know that this is a process because we have been in meetings together over the the past year, and um, I've I've said we need a system for local emergency rooms who are getting folks who simply need housing. That's why they're going to the ER. And so you've stated this so simply. Why do you think nothing has changed? You said you just, you know, I came in today prepared to say that you had done this 399 times in the last year. You came in today and said, oh, of course, I, you know, I had another one last night. The number keeps ticking upwards. Right. Why do you think nothing has changed? I I don't know why nothing has changed. It's very frustrating. I've, I've got records going back to 2018 even of trying to call 211 and not getting help and asking for someone to do something about the system, particularly because what we hear from city officials, you know, what we hear from folks who are really trying to help is, we'll call 211. And it's, it's heartbreaking to think that somebody at night who maybe has access to a friend's phone for five minutes will call and get Put on hold or call and be told to call back tomorrow. And tomorrow might be too late if you're going to get frostbite tonight or even die. We know that people have died this winter from exposure. And when you agreed to talk to us about this today, you wanted to make sure we weren't going to name these hospitals, even though there is one hospital that calls you a great deal. Others do as well. But you really didn't want that to be the focus and you didn't want their names on that. Why was that important to you? I think it's important because we need to be solutions-oriented. I think it is a good thing to have community involvement and uh, grassroots involvement. I actually personally think that we do have to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think the beauty in this is that we have now expanded our community of people and resources to the hospitals. but I also know that there is there's lots of of red tape, and not everyone would be in support of hospitals calling a rather random unpaid volunteer yeah. <laughs> to find resources. And you're worried that if somebody cuts this off, that then those calls go to no one. Correct. Correct. And we've been able to place at least half of people from these calls into to shelter. Your system works. 
It's just at what cost? I mean, I, when I'm thinking of 400 calls over the past year, do you feel almost hamstrung? Like, you can't go to a movie. What if one of these calls comes in? <laughs> yeah, there have been a few times, particularly on the coldest nights, when I'll sort of message the network of folks who call me and say, I am out of commission for the next 90 minutes. I will respond to texts or calls afterwards. Because um, there's such a big burden on you. Right. There's just such a need. There's such a need with no uh, viable resource or response. Um, and this is the, there is beauty in this. I mean, there have been, you know, some of the local ERs that have been reaching out have also been able to provide resources to some of the pop-up shelters. Um because they know so many people are going to these places and right. the, these places and so, need more funding. Right. And so they've done food drives. They've um, Some of them have actually cooked food for some of our, our shelters this past winter. Um, so it's a really – it's something that has brought everybody hope. Mm -hmm. But this is just one little corner of the St. Louis world that needs – access to resources. I mean, for every person I get a call from, there's somebody out, you know, in some other part of the city that has no idea what to do or how to find shelter. This system is so complicated. And as you say, there's this is just one tiny piece of it. Now, our producer, Kayla Drake, reached out to 211, reached out to the city uh, to say to hear what they would say in response to these concerns. Erin Smith is the vice president of communications for the United Way of Greater St. Louis. Uh, she gave us a statement that says this, quote, there are many factors that go into serving the needs of individuals throughout our region. Each caller has unique needs that must be considered when providing accurate referrals. That said, we do expect our training specialists to provide accurate information to callers at all times. Aaron Smith of the United Way continues, the ability to refer individuals leaving the emergency room to shelter also depends on many factors, such as eligibility requirements of providers, resource availability, and shelter intake hours. We do take your findings seriously, and we will continue to focus on staff training as needed, as well as process improvement and communication among the partners, providers, and the housing helpline. And the city said this in a statement, quote, Concerns expressed by the community are investigated and discussed with contracted entities or partners to address such matters. DHS, the city department, works to improve the systems of care for the most vulnerable through addressing any concerns raised and leveraging relationships to strengthen the safety net of services. Hearing those statements today, Nicole, does that give you any hope that something could change as our producer has been kind of sounding the alarm about what you're telling us about today? Right. I think... You know, I think there there is hope. There's always hope, right? Um, and there is a new administration in and a new director of human services. And, you know, I think we started at a rough period with, with this. Uh, the director of human services started just at the beginning of winter. A tough um, time to start that job. A very tough time to start this job. Um, so I'm hopeful, and I do think the relationship building piece is key. That's why I was able, for example, to connect folks in hospitals to shelter was because of these relationships we've built. So I do, I do think there is promise in that. The thing that seems to be missing is the acknowledgement that there is an immediate need for shelter for people. 
So tomorrow, after you've had a good night's sleep, you can investigate this person's situation and find a resource that might fit them better than a, a temporary overnight shelter. But to be able to have that conversation with that person tomorrow, you need to take care of them tonight. Mm-hmm. And it's that um, sort of immediacy that I don't always feel in, in statements like that. So, Nicole, we're so hopeful that some changes may come out of you telling your story today and shedding light on this. But let's say worst case scenario, nothing changes. You continue to get these calls, continue to to have to deal with your texting system. Will you continue to do this work? Absolutely. No question. Will there ever be a point where you'll say, hey, 400 calls, 800 calls, (laughs) this is too much. I'm done. I mean, I think sometimes when I get calls between 2 and 3.30 in the morning, I think that somebody else would maybe be better suited to that time slot because I don't wake up all the time. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I think we show up when we think we can help in some way. And and I wish I could help more. There are plenty of times when there aren't resources, there isn't shelter available. And those are hard nights. Well, Nicole Warrington, I want to thank you so much for this work that you do. And thank you for for sharing this information with us today. Thank you for having me. And Nicole is a volunteer with Winter Outreach, sharing concerns about the city's 211 system. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.